0: So once again, the Hebrew epistles, we don't know who wrote it. Paul, some people say, other people said, hey, but Paul didn't write this way. Actually, they said that the Hebrew, that the Greek in Hebrews is better than Paul, who tends to go off to various places. Yeah, that's what I thought. What? Who could be better than Paul? But apparently the guy who wrote Hebrews is better than Paul. And yet he is somebody who is almost certainly a Jew because he had, a great deal of understanding. There are something like 80 references to the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. not a very big book. Uh, and uh, especially in the area of the work of the high priest. And it will show us the work of the high priest. And it's the only book that really does showing us what God is trying to do with the, with the high priest role of Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, Jesus Christ has been uh, high priest for a long time now, about 2,000 years. How long he will be high priest uh, before he becomes king is not quite clear, since God hasn't told us But that's his next role as he comes back. Okay, now we saw in chapter one that Jesus Christ uh, was First of all, he is the revelation of, of God to us. Uh, he is the brightness of his glory and the express image, the icon, the impress of God. God who no man can see, you're gonna die. God has been showing himself in a, pers- in a way that you can see him and experience him through his son, Jesus Christ. And we see also that he was better than the angels as he came, he had a higher name, he had more power, and so forth, and he shows the difference between the angel and man. And I mentioned last time that the Jehovah's Witnesses who uh, claim that uh, Jesus Christ is Michael, the archangel, uh, that's there. In fact, I've heard them sing a song. One time we went and um, attended a Jehovah's Witness service uh, at the uh, at insistence of my sister-in-law to see a look, and I was curious to see what happened. At any rate, they actually sang that uh, song, and we so we see that He is greater than it, as God the Son, He is greater than the angels. Then in chapter 2, we saw that uh, God has given us a message, and in the Old Testament, we found that angels were participating in the uh, Ten Commandments and the message that was given on Mount Sinai. And God says, now we've got a message coming from Jesus himself, and better you listen to him if you haven't listened to the angels in the Old Testament. They used to kill people there. Better you listen to him here. That's chapter 2, 1 through 4. Okay? Then we see that God has shows us God is going to put everything in the hands of man. The dominion Command that was given back in Genesis 1:26 is going to occur. And so now Jesus is also better than the angels, even when he submitted himself and emptied himself of his glory. We, you see that in Philippians chapter 2. And so, in that area, and to identify himself with us, he took our flesh and blood and died on the cross for us, so that he could, through his death, destroy him who had power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver us from fear of that. And he said, Verily he took not upon himself the nature of angels, but on the sea of the seed of Abraham. So he's made like us, and in addition to that, he suffered being tempted or tested in every way like us. Okay, now we're in chapter 3. And our goal today, my goal today, is to get through chapter seven. We'll try and go through eight, nine, and 10, uh, and maybe into a little bit of 11 uh, by uh, next lesson, and then finish off uh, with uh, the great faith chapter and the practical aspects. By the way, uh, for your info, the doctrinal section in Hebrews runs all the way from chapter one through Verse 19 of chapter 10. So, what does that mean? That normally, if you look at Paul, normally he splits it kind of down the middle. Uh, If you look at like Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are doctrine, 4, 5, 6, practical. Uh, If you look at Philippians, if you look at those, he does. But here in Hebrews, not saying it was Paul, uh, but it's actually about almost three quarters of the book is doctrine and one quarter or thereabouts is how to put it, the doctrine, into practice. Okay, now we saw also in chapter 3 that Jesus Christ, the author, apostle, and high priest, was faithful uh, in his house like Moses was faithful, but he said the difference is Jesus is the owner of the house, the builder of the house, whereas Moses was a servant in the house. And that is how far we got, and then we stopped. So that gives you a little (laughs) bit of background. Now the next section that we're gonna see is talking about something that confused me terribly, and that is entering into his rest. Now I don't know about you, but uh, to let us labor to get into your rest, that kind of seemed a bit strange to me. Let's look at it, okay? So we're starting now, uh, in verse seven of chapter three, wherefore as the Holy Ghost saith, If today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, for your fathers tempted me, or tested me, proved me, and saw my works for forty years. Okay, so what's he doing? He is now going. He went from Moses, in general, to Moses and the people. the wilderness. So that's where we're at. Wherefore I was grieved with this generation and said they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my, I swear in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one Uh, another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. Okay, now he's going back and he's talking about all the things that happened uh, in the trip in the wilderness, okay, so you're going to be starting with Exodus as you cross over the Red Sea and you go along and you go along and you go along and you'll remember about the time they get to Kadesh um, Barnea, uh, God gets very angry and says, that, you know, these people have tested me ten times. That means God was counting at all the times that it was it was being rejected and so forth. And at Kadesh Barnea, he said, you know, what did they do? They sent the guys who were the spies out for how long? How long? Forty days, right? Okay, they come back. Ten of the twelve say, we can't make it hard. They're bigger than we. They've got all these uh, huge uh, fortresses and stuff. No way. And Caleb and Joshua said, let's go. These people are bred for us. They're big, but they're not bigger than God. And we've got God on our side. Well, the people decided to go with the 10 rather than the 12. And you'll remember that God got very angry. And you'll remember then that he said, okay. He said, those of you who rejected me who are 20 years older older you're not going to go into Canaan the land of rest your bodies will die in the wilderness remember that story right Kadesh Barnea and so 40 years long the men died and he said there's two exceptions Two guys who said it was right. Joshua will go. Caleb will go. Hey, wait a minute. What about (coughs) Moses? Sorry, Moses didn't make it either. What about the high priest? Didn't make it either. And so he said, the young people, you're saying that they're going to kill our young people. He said, they're the ones that are going to get in. And you're not going to enter our rest. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, be careful that this doesn't happen to you for we are all made partakers of Christ if we hold from the beginning our confidence steadfast unto the end. So he's talking about true faith. Wilder said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as they did in the provocation. And you can understand God's upset. He said, didn't I just split the Red Sea in two? Oh, that wasn't enough? Well, how about the fact that uh, I gave you water out of a rock? And that I'm providing you water day by day and your feet aren't swelling and your clothes are okay and how about the fact that I give you manna every day to eat by the way they figure that's a, like 150 uh, train truck full per day of manna to feed two million people I mean that's a lot of manna you know and you only get it six days a week and then you get twice as much on the sixth day and you don't eat it the seventh day you don't get it the seventh day and you can boil it that day beforehand and it won't spoil but if you take it that day and uh it will spoil on the other day you try he said didn't i show you all these things and you still don't believe me and by the way do we have more information than they did about the nature of god and that's what he's warning us about and so so what is he saying he says for some when they did when they heard did provoke albeit not all that came out of egypt by moses there were few the young people and caleb and joshua but with whom was he grieved 40 years was it not with them that sinned and whose carcasses fell in the wilderness i calculated out it's approximately 80 burials a day on the average that's pretty impressive I mean if you were a uh, what do you call those guys? Under, undertaker instead of upper taker uh, you know you would have good business and whom he swore that he would not enter into his rest but they believed not and why did they not believe? They did not believe in verse 19 what held them back? One thing what's it say? Hmm? unbelief okay so the, the whole question is based on faith are we going to trust God or not? And he certainly had given them adequate. So let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us the gospel was preached as well as to them, but the word <coughs> preached did not profit them, not being mixed with what? Faith when they heard it. And so this raises a question. What about, do we hear the word preached? The true word does our pastor preach the word of God? What happens if we don't mix it with faith? If we don't really believe, and faith without works, by the way, is dead. Okay, so that's what he's he's showing us. Okay, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have shorn in their wrath, if they shall enter in my rest, although the the works were finished from the foundation of the world he spake in a certain place on the seventh day in this wine and God did rest in the seventh day from all his works okay so when did God rest seventh day what do we call that Sabbath right seventh day what well, by the way what does the word s- Sabbath mean does it mean Saturday why not you're right why doesn't it mean Saturday Okay, but th- if you look, there's a place where there's a Sabbath. There's a Sabbath, and then 10 days later, there's a Sabbath. Can it mean Saturday? No, there's no way. I mean, we don't have a 10-day, uh, except to 10-day week. Okay, <coughs> it's rest day, okay? And so that's what he's talking about, A Sabbath, the day, the day of rest. By the way, that, for your information, think about, it starts the night before, you know, it starts on Friday night, through Saturday night. And that's why in the book of the beginning of uh, Genesis it talks and it was the night and the following day because the Jews started by counting at sundown just like we start some people start at sunrise, okay? Now, uh, let's go on. Okay? So first kind of rest he talked about is his rest that is God's rest. Now did God stop doing everything on Saturday on, on the Sabbath? I mean did he just fall asleep and do nothing? Okay? No, because if he didn't sustain the work, the world, the world would disappear within a few seconds. I think we talked about that last time. So it's not that he's totally inactive, but he is not doing the work the way he was doing the work of creation. Now, we come to the next point. And in this place, if they shall enter my rest, seeing there it rep- remaineth again that they must enter in. And they who were first preached entered did not enter in unbelief. He limited to a certain day, saying in David, today, so as after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Now, the next word is interesting. For if Jesus, well, had given them rest, there would not have spoken of another day. Okay? Jesus in the Old Testament is the word Joshua. Same word. Okay? So he's really talking, in this particular case, that's a Greek word, but it's really referring to Joshua. And so he says, there is still a rest for the people of God. For that he entered into his rest, he has ceased from his own work, as God did from his. Okay? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same manner of unbelief. Now, finally, with verse 10 and a few commentaries, I began to understand what this was talking about. Because what I believe he's, if I understand correctly, what he's talking about is the rest he's talking about is notice that It said Joshua had ceased from his own works. Okay? And so the rest of God, what God is trying to, I believe, show us is not that we fall asleep or we don't do anything or we're lazy or anything, but that we can rest in the fact that we are allowing him to do his work through us rather than us doing all the work. And we see people today running around and hastening and working hard and working hard and working hard uh, and not allowing the Lord to, to work through us. And so you're anxious and you're t- tense and you're having all these problems. And he said, why don't you just turn things over to me and let me work through you? And that, I believe, is the rest of God. And by the way, the vast majority of Christians do not have the rest of God. For the word of God is, sh- is quick is is live, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We, uh, We otherwise, in our own understanding, cannot distinguish between soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, as a doctor, I found that business of joints and marrow fascinating. Why? Because I've looked at joints and marrow under the microscope, and you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. And I thought, what a neat type of illustration as to how sharp it is. Because even with a microscope, I cannot distinguish between joints and marrow, but God's word can. So that's a freebie from uh, my medical background. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to him with whom we have to do. So he sees everything. He knows, Does he know our hearts? Of course he knows our hearts. Does he know whether we're resting in him or we're resting in our own good works, and our own strength? Of course he does. Now, I don't. I can't look at you and you can't look at me and say for sure, but he can. Seeing then that we have a high priest was passed into heaven Jesus son of God let us hold fast to our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted (coughs) tested as we are yet without sin because of that let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may find mercy and help in time of need and now God is going to show what the high priest's job is and it's not just to be far away and to pray for us, but he is going to call us into the Holy of Holies to abide there with him. And that is where we start to do our work and rest in his strength. Now, chapter five, for every priest taken among men in things pertaining to God had gifts and sacrifices for sin. Okay, so every priest has to have sacrifices, Okay. Who, and also the high priest can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for himself is compassed with infirmity. He understands because he is identified with the other men. Okay? Which is why Jesus became a man, among other things. And by reason hereof, he ought for people and also for himself to offer for sins. So when the high priest went into this Holy of Holies, the first thing he did is he made an offering for himself before he could make an offering for anyone else. If he walked in without that offering for himself, that was it. I mean, <clears throat> they could drag his dead skin out, his dead body out. Okay? Now, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he is called of God, as was Aaron. So, also. Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest but he that saith unto him thou art my son today I have begotten thee and and he saith in another place thou art a high priest forever out of the order of Melchizedek okay so did Jesus say well I think I'd like to be the high priest no who called him God, Just like Aaron didn't dare say, Well, I think I'll be high priest. God said, Aaron, that's your job. And so that's what he's done here. So it's one of the things he wanted to point out is that Christ did not decide this on his own. He was called by God just like Aaron was. Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong tearings, crying and tears unto them that were able to save from death, was heard and it was feared. Though he was a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered or experienced. And so he is going to go, he is so identified with us that he will actually experience all the trials and temptations that we have experienced. (coughs) And being made perfect, he became author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. (coughs) So we see that God now has called Jesus himself (coughs) to be (coughs) the uh, high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And now we get a warning, and now we come to the most difficult section to understand of the entire book of Hebrews. And one of the most difficult sections to understand of uh, the entire Bible, if you believe that you cannot lose your salvation, okay? We're gonna come to, and that's this whole section starting here. And And he warns us, of whom we have many things to say and are hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. And so he's going to warn us, don't be dull of hearing for when the time, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which are the first principles of the oracles of God, and you are need of milk and not of strong meat. For everybody that uses milk is unskillful in righteousness, for he is a babe. And so he says, okay, you're like a baby, you're going to get the milk of the word, you're not going to get the meat of the word, because you're not able, and if you look at verse 12 of chapter 6 he says don't be slothful and that's the end of this whole section said listen up but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age even to them who are by reason have their use of senses exercised to discern good and evil okay so we're now in the beginning of chapter 6 Leaving Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, okay, perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God or doctrine of baptisms, which could be said doctrine of washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, And this we will do, if God permit. Now, in fact, as you look at chapter uh, 6, 1 and uh, and 2, I would originally say this is obviously someone who is definitely saved. I mean, that was my original assumption. I have to say now that I'm not, I don't think we can say that. There are these things, the doctrine of Christ is really talking about the doctrine of the Messiah that's uh, a Greek translation of Messiah were they looking for a Messiah in the Old Testament? yeah okay laying repentance from dead works were they told to turn away from from dead works in the Old Testament? yes okay let's go further (coughs) were they told in the Old Testament you ought to believe God? (laughs) yep okay Doctrine of washings. Did they have washings in the Old Testament? You better believe it. So, Or immersions. Baptism means immersions. Did they have immersions and so forth? Yeah, washings of cups and <coughs> this and that. Did they have laying on of hands? Hey, what did they do? What did I do? i done a sin and I, I am a sinner and I bring an animal to the offering to the priest. And what do I do? I put my hands on the right, and I'm saying, God, I have sinned. This innocent animal, please take it in my place. And then they offer the animal. And God says, okay, isn't that what Abel did? Hmm? Isn't that what Noah did? Sure. And so did they believe in the resurrection of the dead? Sure they did, because remember Paul says, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm here to talk about the resurrection of the dead. Those people weren't Christians. But they, they, you know, they said, well, maybe an angel talked to him or something. Okay, eternal, death, eternal judgment. Did they believe in the eternal judgment in the Old Testament? Of course they did. So in other words, this does not, necessi- this does not necessarily say that you are a Christian who is saved. Are you following where we're going? So you have this background... And now, I think that's important to remember. So the question then is, as you come to verses 6, 7, and 8, I'm sorry, 4 to 6, are they talking about born-again believers or not? And the answer is probably no. If they are, you and I are in big trouble. Okay? But I don't believe that is. it is be have big trouble if you believe that you can't uh, lose your salvation for it is impossible for those that were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the holy ghost and tasted the good word of of lord and the powers of world to come if they should fall away to renew them again to to repentance seeing their crucified themselves the son of god of flesh uh, fresh and put them to open shame. Now, from what I have understand and what I've uh, tried to do in looking at several commentaries is, if you are going to take an Armenian position that you can lose your salvation, this is the, this is the place they will go, number one place, right here, and pull this out and show you. But again, if the person is not uh, genuinely saved, but coming very close to salvation, but not to salvation, then uh, you do not need to take that position. And what it appears to me is happening is God is contrasting the Old Testament way and the New Testament way, okay? And we see that in verse seven and eight, okay? Old Testament, New Testament way for the earth which drinketh the rain oft come upon it, bringeth forth fruit, meat for him that is dressed receiveth blessing from God, but that which is buried, thorns and the briars are rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, and the end is burning. So it seems that there is a contrast between the uh, person who comes close to salvation but isn't saved and the one who is genuinely saved. Now, uh, Is this debatable? Yes, it is. Uh, But I believe that this is a satisfactory understanding of this section. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, (laughs) though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work of labor and love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire every one of you to show the same diligence to the assurance to hope to the end that you be not slothful but followers them who through the faith and patience inherit the (coughs) promises. And so it's again an encouragement. Now I think that one of the things that Hebrews is trying to show us is that we need to be very careful that we don't just make a profession of faith say okay uh, I pray a prayer and then that's it. And I can do what I want and I'm going to heaven, and I don't care, you know. Okay, you can do all your stuff, and uh, you can do your stuff, and uh, you, if you want to get more rewards in heaven, that's okay. I'm satisfied with just praying a prayer, and I'm going to heaven, that's enough. And how, how many people do we see do that? And I think this is a warning, look out. You may just be praying a prayer, but you, don't, you may not have received the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, let's go on and see what he's talking about. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and by an oath of confirmation, and that's the end of all strength, strife. Rather. Wherefore God, being the, the more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his conscience confirmed it with an oath. So now he's showing us, okay, we believe that you are in, you have genuinely received, you genuinely received Christ, and you are going to get the reward. And not only do I make a promise about it, and you should be able to accept that because I, God, have promised it, I'm going to make an oath on my own side. So you got two things. You got my promise, and you got my. Sw- my oath that I've made and I'm swearing by myself, not by anyone else because you can't swear any higher than that. That by two immutable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled to refuge to lay hold of the hope before us. By the way, uh, Allah, the God of Islam, can lie. They say, well, if God's totally powerful and do anything you want, he can lie. But the Bible says, Jehovah God cannot lie. Why? Because it's against his character. He cannot lie. And so he said, you can be absolutely sure of this because God promised it, number one, he can't lie. And number two, he swore an oath and he can't lie. And this is a hope that you can hang on to. And he says, which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, which entereth into that which is before within the veil, and now we're coming to a very interesting story. Whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the picture they have is of a ship coming to harbor. And you have the anchor and the ship often had to stay outside of the harbor if there was a bar there until the water was high enough to go over and get into the harbor on many uh, many of these places. So they had a little boat and you actually put the anchor in the boat and the boat rode and dropped the anchor into the harbor and now the ship is surely going to get into the harbor. As soon as the tide comes up, it goes over. But, it's, but the anchor is already anchored. Now the picture is Jesus is our anchor and he is taking us and he is going into the Holy of Holies and he's dropping the anchor there, and we are going to be in God's presence for sure. And That's the picture that you get. Now he's going to talk about Melchizedek. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, whom Abraham gave a tenth of all, being first interpreted king of righteousness, and after that the king of Salem, which is the king of peace without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but being made like a son of God, abideth a priest continually. Okay, I'm going to turn for just a moment to Genesis chapter 14. You'll remember in Genesis chapter 13 that five kings and four kings fought, and then they carried off Lot and uh, Abraham took 318 of his, his servants and ran after these five kings. And with that small little group, he broke them into three groups and won the, uh, and won the battle. Uh, it was amazing. And so now he comes back and in verse 18, he's just come back. The king of Sodom is going to come and theoretically he Uh, Abraham should have all the stuff of the king of Sodom Sodom, and so forth. But a guy shows up at that very moment called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth wine, bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, who hath delivered thine enemies unto thy hand, and he, Abraham, or Abraham at that time, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. That's what he's talking about, okay? And then later, uh, Abraham gave everything back to uh, the king of Sodom. He said, I don't want you to, them to say that the king of Sodom made me rich. Okay, now we're at verse four. Now consider how great this man was, whom even... The patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. For verily, they that are the son of Levi, who receive the command of uh, the office of priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. So in the Old Testament, you give your tithe and it goes to the, the, the Levites, who then distribute it among certain people. That is, of their brethren, although they all, come, they all I can say, come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, that is Melchizedek, he didn't come from any of them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes, but he that received them is witness that he also liveth. And I also say that Levi, who received tithe, paid tithes in Abraham. So what he's saying is, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So what he's saying is this. Abraham comes. There's Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. He shows up. We don't know anything about his background. Background is very important in those days. He shows up and he gives him some, some, some sacramental stuff, bread and wine. Sounds familiar. Like uh, you know, communion. And, uh, and he blesses him. And Abraham gives him a tenth. But they said, but If you think about it, although it was Abraham that did that, it's Abraham's grandson, or great-grandson, I guess, that actually was in, you could say, in his loins, that is, in his body, uh, was paying tenth a tithe to this guy. And so he said, obviously, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and Abraham was our father. So, in that sense, Melchizedek is greater than Levi, and that's the point he wants to make. So, verse 11, Therefore, if therefore perfection was come by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what need was there for another priesthood to arrive out of a different order, the order of Melchizedek, not called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, it is necessary to change also of the law. For he that to whom these things were spoken pertained of another tribe which no man gave attendance to the altar for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah that we know he came from Judah and David and so forth (coughs) of which Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood so it's a totally different system and it is more evident that after this similitude of Melchizedek they rose another priest who was made not after the law of carnal commandments that is the flesh, but after the power of an endless life. Because he, he said, Thou art a priest forever, he lives forever, of the mort- order of Melchizedek. For there is verily an disannulling of the commandment going because of the weakness and profited thereof. Fancy way of saying he stopped it because it didn't work. Shades of Obama care. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. <laughs> For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh to God. And that's the point. And inasmuch as, as not without an oath he was made a priest. Okay. So they said, there's a double negative, not without, in other words, with an oath, you made him a priest. For those priests were made without an oath. When you were a priest, after Levi was chosen, you didn't have to ask if you were going to be a priest. Now you're a priest. You're born into the priesthood. I mean, was automatic. But this guy, he makes an oath. For the priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, will not change his mind. Thou, Jesus, art a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety or proof uh, uh, of a better testament. And there were truly many priests who were not suffered to continue by reason of death they couldn't continue forever to be a priest because they died. But this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, to the end, that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as the high priest to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh the high priest to have infirmity. The law makes priests that are going to die. And in fact, if you think about the people in, that go to the uh, place of refuge, huh? you go to the place of refuge because you killed someone by accident. You wait until the high priest dies. That means high priest died. Then you can go back home. You can't go back until then who needeth not sacrifice as a high priest to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did what? Verse 27, very important. This he did once when he offered up himself. This is the reason that the Roman Catholic Mass is wrong. It is heretical. For the law made high priests who have infirmity, but the word of an oath which is made since then maketh a son who is consecrated forevermore. Let me just see. Okay, we've got a couple minutes. Let's, I'll I'll refer you back to Leviticus 16, but we don't have time to go all the way to all that detail. But you'll recall what happens. When the, once a year, they had the, the time of atonement. And this was a time that they would forgive sins for a year. One year, no more. The high priest, they bring in two goats and one goat they take and, they, and the high priest puts his hand on and he pray, 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 pray all the sins they've done it must have taken a long time to talk about all the sins they've done that year and then they carry it off and they leave it so far away that he can't find his way back the other goat he kills he's going to go into the Holy of Holies which he can only the high priest only once a year can go Okay? Before he can go in, he kills an animal for himself. He takes a censer and fills the place with smoke. So a whole <coughs> building is filled with smoke. And then he sprinkles blood on the, on the holy, on the altar, I shouldn't say the altar, on the covering of the ark. And inside the ark are the holy are the tablets written by the finger of God. And the Angels are looking down at the law, but they're looking through the blood. Blood is covering it. Okay? After he's done that, then he goes out and he kills uh, he, he kills the other goat. He brings the goat in and does that. And he kills the cow and brings the cow in. And after that, he's finished. He has little rings around his feet. So as he walks, you, hear, you can hear them. They... What I've understood, although it's not written in the Bible, tradition says they tied a rope around his foot. Because if he died, how are you going to get the body out? So if he happened to die because things didn't go right, you would drag his body out. Because nobody could go in there. Otherwise, you just have another dead body in there. And so this happened once a year. And the other thing they pointed out is that any of the priests, there were no stools, no chairs anywhere in the holy place or the holy of holies. Why? Because the work was never done. But Jesus will find out when he makes his offering one time, sits down. Why? Work is finished. And he has entered into his rest. Now, what God is going to do is he's going to take you and he's going to take me and Jesus is going to take us in to the Holy of Holies, where we can go and stay. And that, the, when could that happen? Only after Jesus died and they split that veil wide open so that you could have direct contact with God because you couldn't do that before. And so this whole system in the pe- is to tell us you can't go in front of God without the protection of blood. And you can't go in front of God. Uh, originally, I mean, the Jews couldn't do it like we can do it because we can go inside the Holy of Holies. They couldn't. And so we have a greater responsibility than they did. So we'll stop at this point. Any questions on any of this? I'm sorry we kind of ran out of time a little bit. Okay. Then, uh, Brian, I'm going to ask if you would pray. Thank you, Lord. We love you and thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray that you bless the things that we've learned today, Lord. Help us to grow closer to you and honor and glorify you with our lives today, Lord. Pray that you would be with us, Lord. And Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for the the things that we've learned. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice and the atonement. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Thanks so much and have a great day.